Welcome to the Five Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, I'll share my beer fest experiences, talk about the benefits of VIP access, rock out beer styles with Mark Osborne from Adroit Theory Brewing, and review Ossuary from Adroit Theory Brewing. In this segment of Tales from the Trail, beer fests are the topic of conversation. Though summer is typically the season for beer fests, you can actually find them all year long. Many of these beer fests will give you a commemorative taster glass, which is super convenient and also gives you a little something you can put on your shelf at home to remember the event. For the past several years, I've attended the Burning Foot Beer Fest on the shores of Lake Michigan with two of my absolute favorite beer bros, my brother and cousin. It's a great event that has food, music, and last year I believe it had over 80 breweries, mainly from Michigan. We've learned a lot on how to pace ourselves for this massive event. The entrance fee gets you 15 tastes, but you can always buy a few more. It is in late August and always a great time. Last summer, one of my other Ohio beer skis and I attended the Northwest Ohio Brewbecue at Fort Crick Brewery in Defiance, Ohio. It was a great event with over 25 Northwest Ohio-only breweries, and one of the options was an all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet. It was a limited 12-taste event, but honestly, with all the food, I wouldn't have been able to drink much more than that. I can't wait to go again this summer. More recently, I've been attending the Frozen Firkenfest at Two Times Brewing in Fort Wayne, Indiana with my main Indiana beer ski. It's held in February, so you always have to dress accordingly. It's unique because most of the breweries there have a one-off beer, a firkin, that they bring. This is an unlimited tasting event, so you have to use some flight control in case your favorites are high ABV beers. Hoplore Brewing in Leesburg, Indiana hosts their Lord of the Hops event in April. I saw it advertised during 2020, but like most everything on the planet, it got canceled. I missed it last year, but got it on my calendar early this year. It was an unlimited tasting event that featured over 20 breweries who each had 3-5 to five beers available. I speak from experience, it was definitely one that would have been good to attend with a friend or two in order to manage the flight control. The entry fee for most of these events is anywhere from $30 to $50 for the base ticket, and then anywhere from $20 to $50 more to get some of the perks. Since most of these events I attend are within a reasonable driving distance, I've bought the base entry fee for the first year just to get a feel for whether or not it's worth the extra investment or not for subsequent years. I would check with your local Brewers Guild to see if they sponsor events or even have a mailing list you can subscribe to and see what is ahead. Some bucket list beer fests for me would include the following. The Michigan Brewers Guild sponsors spring, summer, fall, and winter beer fests in four different locations around Michigan. At some point, I really want to attend all of them in the same year. The Festival of Wood and Barrel Age Beer, Fobab, in Chicago is one I would love to check out. One of my local independent brewer friends who barrel ages told me about it. It is a multi-day event in November, but would be one to remember. Over 180 breweries come together to compete for gold, silver, and bronze medals. And depending on the ticket level you purchase, tasting is included. The Great American Beer Fest, GABF, is probably the best-known festival in the U.S. It's held in Denver, Colorado in October. It's a multi-day event that hosts the largest collection of brewers in the country, all competing for the coveted gold, silver, and bronze medals in 97 different categories. So no matter what you do, be sure to take a friend or two along with you if possible. It's a great way to drink responsibly and always a lot more fun. This week's Hot Pack is about going behind the velvet rope at beer fests, the VIP experience. I've only done this a couple of times so far. Each time was unique, 
Though a one-hour early entrance to the festival is pretty common and might be the difference in getting a small batch one-off beer that will disappear very quickly. Burning Foot, for example, has a small buffet of food, air-conditioned restrooms, and a few unique beers they are pouring in their sandbox. I personally found it a little underwhelming for the price paid, but it was still fun to be part of the elite. Since there were some big breweries announced that would be in attendance, I got the VIP ticket for Lord of the Hops. It offered a VIP pack with commemorative glass and unlimited pours of VIP-only beers. Each of the breweries there had VIP-only beers during the first hour, which was pretty cool. It was definitely worth the money, as they had many unique and one-off bottles of everything from Three Floyd's Dark Lord to No Rules from Perrin to Dark Star from Fremont Brewing, and a whole lot more. If you're considering the VIP experience, I would highly recommend following the social media accounts of the host brewery or organizer of any beer fest you attend, just to see what to expect. It's always gratifying to pop on a VIP ticket to a beer fest and then find out that one of your favorite breweries will be in attendance and you get a one-hour head start on the masses. Well, now it's time for Barstool Banter. For this week's interview, I'm finishing up my conversation by riffing over beer styles with Mark Osborne, who is the owner of Adroit Theory Brewing in Purcellville, Virginia. So, Mark, welcome. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Clearly, you guys have, have the hazy double triple IPA thing down pat. You guys have some, some really delicious uh, doubles and triples. You know, for example, I'm drinking this Cosmic Oblivion, which is a, I think it's a 10.2% triple. Oh, so that's one of our session beers, I see. Is it? Nice. <laughs> nice. You know, I usually crush those too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's funny. It's funny. I, uh, I, should, I, I actually don't dislike them, but I, I rarely drink session beers. I don't mean like session beers, like sessionable beers. I mean yeah. like session IPAs, like you uh-huh. know, four, 4% IPAs, because they're always like, they smell great. You're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be fantastic. I can't wait. And then you drink it, and it's just like, poof, like just disappears in your mouth. You're like, where'd that IPA go? What happened? Let me take another sip. And, you know, it's the same thing. And it's like, ugh. So I end up up gravitating to, you know, 7%, 8%, 9%, 10%, 12%. You're like, oh, no, my productivity is going down the drain. But I do like this. I uh, We make, uh, we started making oat cream, what we call oat cream IPAs. This is the newest one called uh i guess we're not doing a video call so i don't know why i'm holding them that's okay you can hold it up so i can see it classic classic rock oh yeah i think i just ordered that yeah it's pretty dope seven and a half percent which again we very rarely make ipas below that like you know like we don't i mean we don't have hazy at least like we make some west coast but like you know like we we don't have like five and a half to six and a half percent ipa i mean i can't think of us i can't think of one we've made in the last three years i'll put it like that but that's seven and a half percent to me is like sessionable, crushable. You yeah. could have four of them. Yeah, it'll start to creep up on you. Like it's super flavorful, super rich, super silky, creamy, but not obnoxiously. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's a style that I, I really like. And when we brew these, this is what I'm taking home with me for my evening drinking. What kind of, uh, what kind of hops are you using in the classic rock? Honestly, I would have to look that up, but I'm pretty okay. sure it's El Dorado Citra Galaxy. I think the Cosmic Oblivion, I think was El Dorado and either Azaka or Citra maybe you know this one has just such a great like nectarine tangerine mm-hmm. kind of profile and nose I just I love that kind of uh, uh that big citrus aroma and then of course you add the lactose give you that nice thick kind of pillowy soft mouthfeel which uh which also uh just makes me want to dive into more of it so you talk about you know the seven eight percent you know IPAs that are sessionable you know you, you, you give me a good one you know, even some of yours that have been up there in the 10 11 percent you know you 
have a couple and it's like, ooh, that was a little bit bigger than what I thought it was. It sure drank more like a six or 7% IPA. And next thing you know, you're uh, falling asleep in the chair watching TV. <laughs> uh, we are very good at hiding alcohol. I mean, it doesn't matter what beer it is, whether, I mean, even our stouts, you know, they just, they're scary how drinkable they are. That carrying that all you, all I see is carrying beer. It's 12%. It's every bit of 12%. Yeah. And yeah. you will feel that beer, but while you're drinking it, man, there, you cannot pick up on those, you know, those alcoholic notes, those fusel notes that are so much, you know, so, so oftentimes in those big ABV beers, you know, yeah, it's delicious, but it also has that alcoholic bite to it. But we definitely try to figure out a way to balance it or, you know, add a certain degree of sweetness to it to counterbalance mm -hmm. you know, that perceived alcoholic quality. So they will definitely creep up on you. We have something we call the adroit theory effect at the tap room where people come in and you can see it on their face, right? You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, ooh, that one crept up on me and their yeah. eyes glaze over. It's really funny. <laughs> Some of the uh, my favorites that you you all have put out recently are some of your Russian Imperials. Um, every time uh, Dia de los Muertos comes out, I have to get a can of it or two because it's just it's so delicious. It's probably one of my favorite Russian Imperial stouts. Just has such a great flavor profile. And of course, I'm I'm one of those that love to sit around on a cold winter day here in the Midwest, pour out a big Russian Imperial let it warm up a little bit and just kind of see how that flavor changes over the next hour, hour and a half, two hours. It's just, it's fantastic. Oh yeah. Well, thank you for that. Temperature absolutely plays a huge role, much bigger role than people account for. I mean, they think they know, you know, cold versus, you know, maybe, you know, slightly less cold, a stout man. Like if it's not the right temperature, dude, you are doing yourself a disservice. And I mean, we like them borderline room temperature, you know? Yeah, I mean, indeed. 62 degrees. Um, which, you know, most people are like, Ooh, it's not cold. You know, like let's throw that in the freezer for five minutes. I'm like, no, don't do that. But yeah, no, Dia's, Dia is as close to a, a perfect beer. I think as we have made, um, you'll be happy to know that's actually one of the four cores that we're rolling out that we'll actually start to make on an ongoing basis versus one-time basis. So like Great. Dia, we just, we'd brew it from time to time. Right. And put it out and sell out. And it's just like, this is ridiculous. Why we keep doing this? Let's just make it and yeah. have it and and be able to doctor it up the way we want from time to time um so yeah starting uh march i think it's march 9th i think like we, we plan to and again you know best laid plans but like you know we're gonna have that beer at the tasting room from that point forward you know or if we do sell out oh hey the next batch is coming out next week type of deal um versus well we'll get to that in a year or so yeah uh when i was uh at your tap tap room in october uh, that was when you had released uh, Demons Surround Me and those mm. little nice slimline 12-ounce cans. And I thought, man, I'm getting gypped with this. But then I look at the ABV and it's like 17%. <laughs> I pour out this motor oil into my glass. And like two hours later, I'm still working on the damn thing. It's so delicious. If I just had crushed it without even letting it warm up at all, I would have missed all the nuances of the beer. And I think that's, like you said, that's one thing that, that folks miss out on some of those bigger beers. It's, it, you know, we're not out to like, you know, get toasted. We're out to like figure out what flavor profiles we have. What kind of, what kind of things can you, you bring out using, you know, the malts and the grains. And I mean, I think that's the fun part or the adjuncts even. One of the other ones that a good buddy and I like to drink is your 200. And that mm. beer is so complex. It's got the cacao, the coconut, the pretzels, the peanut butter, and I think uh, one other thing, oh, maple syrup. Crazy, crazy beer, but delicious. And, and if I had just, you know, quaffed it right away, I'd be like, hmm, uh, this isn't really that great. But you let it warm up and now it's, all of a sudden it's like, ooh, I'm, I'm getting some, some interesting notes in here. 
just go to a restaurant and you watch somebody eat and they're like wolfing down their food and you're just like jesus man like but you savor it for a minute you know what i mean you'll yeah. probably enjoy it just a 10 and beer the same way i think it should be savored you know particularly stouts i mean you know we really try to make interesting beers um that demons that you mentioned confessions it's another beer we make very similar but i mean they are complex i mean i would put them in the same category of port you know or fine wine you know aged aged wine where like it really is like layer upon layer upon yeah. layer yeah peel it peel it back as it warms up and you know your palate changes as as it adjusts to the beer but yeah and then on on the pastry side of things which i hate that word and i most i mostly dislike pastry style things you know we do make beers like that but i always try to make them interesting not just like you know i've had so many from other places where like it just feels like they you know they went and they, they bought in a banana a banana float ice cream sundae threw it in a blender and like pop pop there you go you're like you're just drinking you're just drinking sugar right and yeah, yeah it tastes, tastes like what they say it tastes like but like it's like ugh. i try to make a beer that has all these qualities in it it's not just sweet. Now, a lot of times they're sweet because you have added stuff to them, but like, it's not just drinking sugar. It's layered in a way that is, you know, more interesting than just drinking an ice cream float. Yeah, I know that uh, there was a big push, uh, you know, for the kind of the whole smoothie, slushy kind of, you know, sweet, fruity beers. I don't mind them. It's not something I seek out. I mean, I'd rather seek out, you know, something like a uh, uh, like a good Goza or, or a nice, you know, Berliner Weiss that's got just such a great tart sweetness to it. Um, you know, your uh, Illusion series, um, when we were there, we were you know, fortunate enough to have uh, some tasters of some of the Illusion stuff. And that's some good beer too. You know, it's uh, got great fruit flavor, you know, thick, rich. Um, I don't know. I think you guys use real fruit puree in, in your beer as well. Considerable amount of real yeah. fruit. Frozen fruit we don't do, which is why they're one of, you know, they're not even remotely stable products. Right. They're very unstable right. You know, we're not buying um, processed puree. It's just straight, straight frozen fruit. But we try to make those interesting too. It's funny, the base beer, it's a Goza, which we very rarely put on draft, right? Because kind of uh, defeats the purpose the solid beer is a solid base. It's a two-style Goza that we, you know, morph into something that's unrecognizable, but delicious, you know. So yeah. people do seem to like those types of beers, and I like them too. Mm-hmm. It's funny, we mostly made those beers, those types of beers, where it's four or five different types of fruit and vanilla and chocolate and this, that, and the other thing, strictly from a cocktail perspective. Like I made them as, that's how I thought of them. These are beers you can buy. Yeah, I suppose you could drink it if you wanted to, but really, I made it so you could take it home Break out the champagne, break out the prosecco, (laughs) pour it in a glass, and you know, put like two ounces of the beer on top of it. There you go. Like that's what that's how I designed it. That's how I made it. But it just people started to like it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you can drink that. You drink that cocktail mixer. But it's uh, that's the way I look at them. They're cocktail mixers. They're just missing the rest of the ingredients. Well, I I like to hear the uh, that you're passionate about adding real ingredients because I know that for me, you know, if I, I've had a, a beer and it, it'll advertise whatever in it, you know, raspberry, cherry, whatever, you can tell if it's artificial flavoring or if it's real flavoring, you can really tell the difference in that. So kudos, you know, to doing that, because I think that makes a huge difference in, in the, the flavor of the beer and in the quality of the beer too. I appreciate it. We spend a lot of money on adjuncts. Now I will tell you, we also do use extract. I'm not going to say we don't. Sure extracts we don't use any you know artificial sweeteners and things like that but we do try to minimize that there's a lot of popular starbucks coffee type drinks that are available in the market and this is always like oh just doesn't taste real 
So we try to try to avoid that at all costs. But there are some flavors that are very problematic in beer. So those specific flavors will always try to seek out an extract, but it's always a natural extract versus just chemically manufactured flavor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those, we, I mean, we've experimented with those and they just always, to me, are so off-putting. You know what I mean? I'd much rather buy coffee beans and cold steep my beer on my coffee beans, you know what I mean? And do it, do it that way than buy some coffee flavoring. Yeah, I like that. Is there a, is there a beer style that, that you haven't done that you still want to do at some point? Uh, I would love to make a wit, like a Belgian style wit, because um, I love that style. Problem is, is there's a brewery about an hour away that makes, well, I mean, they probably think it's the first, but they make the second best one in the United States, in my opinion, uh, an hour away. So, you know, hasn't been real high on the to-do list. Okay. Uh, but it's beer that I, I enjoy quite a bit. I mean, I love Allagash White. You know, I'll have that pretty much anywhere. I'll go, anywhere. oh, yeah, Allagash, yes, I'll take that, please. Thank you. We have never brewed like a true sour because it's not, not what we do. It's not what we're set up to do. Uh, and then, you know, but one day I would love to actually, you know, make you know, not like a cool ship, you know, do something really exciting like that. It's just, we're just not set up to do that at all. We've accidentally made some sours. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was not purposeful. That was like, ah, crap. Happy um, accidents is what I call those. Yeah. Um, and then more traditional, uh, like two style beers. So like, this is going to be sound crazy. We had never made a Pilsner ever until like two years ago, not even two years ago, maybe like 20 months ago. And you know, that's a classic style of beer and it's delicious. And I think we've done it seven or eight times. And I think it's we've really dialed it in. I think it's actually a really nice beer at this stage, but like I envision making, you know, more beers in that vein in the, in the German catalog of classic okay beers that like again we've never made we've made you know how many double box we've made in our life we've made one keller beer or something like that zero like we just haven't had time and energy to do those types of things but we would i think you know moving forward i think we'll start making more of those so like for instance the pilsner that i mentioned is actually now one of the core beers that we're now making which again most breweries start with that right like yeah that's yeah. day one yep got our got our pilsner um but like we're adding it here at year eight but making light delicate two style beers that you can crush while you're sampling the rest of our beers that's what we're interested in and i think that those type of beers are some that i think the the u.s market in particular i think mainstream market of craft i think misses out on because everybody's so head over heels for the crazy beers like i said the the smoothies the the big ipas the uh, the huge stouts i mean uh, there's nothing better than having like you said a nice delicate kolsch in the evening i mean there, there's nothing better than it just that nice simple sweetness a little bit of biscuity the aroma to it it's just yeah i think i think you're also seeing a lot of uh, hyped breweries you know repositioning themselves and transitioning uh you know, like, oh shit, I can't just make hazy IPAs every 12 days. I got to expand my portfolio and have yeah. solid beers. So like, and then there's breweries that that's all they do, like Schilling dialed in, Human Robot in Philadelphia. I mean, I went there and visited a couple months back and I was just like, I didn't want to leave. I'm like, yes, I would like to take that. Yes, I would like to try that. Yes. And, you know, all these just classic Eastern European style beers and they were just phenomenal. And I think the highest beer on the menu was like 5.1%. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Which is hysterical. I was like, I think the lowest beer we have on the menu right now is like six and a half. So, you know, just the opposite direction, but like it was so enjoyable. I must've had 
six beers while I was there, like six mm-hmm. beers. Yeah. He'd be carrying me out of a droid if that was the case. Yeah, that that and that's one of the things like like for me this year, you know, I've I've definitely gravitated more towards a, a little bit more of the sour saison kind of funky beers mm-hmm. uh, to have flights of beer. Uh, just because I like to get a good idea of what a brewery's offering from, you know, the lighter side all the way to the dark side. And, you know, if you have five or six hazies in a row, I mean, your palate's crushed to begin with. But, you know, if they get into the high ABV, then you're like, well, I can't have anything more because I'm I'm done. I'm in agreement. Saison, I love Saison, particularly like wild fermented Saisons. Yeah, yeah so I think it's an underrated style. Oh, Americans, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, you know, people are doing like Oxbow, for instance. Makes beautiful saisons. Doug mm. Allagash does too. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful saisons. So uh, it's a style like we make a, a nice one, but it's very Americanized. You know what I mean? It's a little hoppier than a classic one. But and again, we're not a we don't really mess around with mixed cultures, at least on purpose. Yeah, I mean, gosh, in the the hills of Virginia, there. I mean, you'd probably be able to pick up some uh, some good wild yeast oh, to yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> bacteria there's a lot of, there are a lot of vineyards around where we are located and there's a lot of stuff floating around i'm sure in the atmosphere it'd be pretty easy but again yeah i love those types of beers and i'm, I'm always appreciative when somebody else is going to the effort of making them for me <laughs> yeah indeed is there anything out there that you have never had that you want to have at some point as far as a beer goes whether it's uh, because you're in virginia and it's on the west coast or because it's in germany or belgium or I mean, you know, uh, I will tell you, you know, being in the beer industry has definitely, there are some cool parts to it. And I definitely love the creative side of it. I love making something that, you know, you get to actually look at someone in the face while they're drinking your beer and they're happy and you're like, yes. But one of the, you know, one of the downsides is it kind of ruins you because you you go all these events or you, you know, you travel and you get to taste all these things. And then like, I can't even tell you how much like people, mother breweries come to visit and they drop a bunch of stuff off and, (laughs) It's almost overwhelming, you know, and, and there's very little surprises left at this stage. Like, you know, when I go somewhere and I go to a festival and I get a beer and it surprises me, I always love it. And I appreciate that just becoming rarer and rarer. And I don't mean, oh, because my beer is so awesome. I'm not talking about that at all. What I'm just saying is that if I've had a lot of beer and, you know, a lot of it starts to taste the same and then you have something and you're just like, whoa, wait, wait stop the presses. Wait, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, and you, then you're excited because it's something new or a new flavor profile you haven't tasted before, or maybe a new process. So uh, I, at the end of the day, I'm also a consumer, right? So like I, I watch, so like when Firestone Walker, you know, drops something really exotic, mental note, check box. Yep. Seek mm-hmm. that out. Uh, I had some of their uh, anniversary uh, beers from about four or five years ago a couple nights ago and it was just that was one of those things where it was again it's like yes you know like this is awesome like i am into this i am so excited about this and you savor it for two hours right because it's so enjoyable but unfortunately those are those are sometimes few and far between nothing on my radar just yet that i haven't been able to uh magically get it to show up at my doorstep yeah yeah so you mentioned uh, the dark lord so i live about three hours from three Floyds. You know, they just recently had their Dark Lord release, and I was like, man, I really would love to go, but it just timing didn't fit it. So that's that's one of those beers for me that I really want to try it. I'm hoping at some point to be able to get it on release day. So there is a White Castle, as I recall, right on the corner of the street <laughs> that, they, that the brewery's located on. And I must say, they probably do a ton of business that weekend. My uh, my brewer, he's been to Dark Lord numerous times. Like he was definitely you know when he was a little bit younger he into it he'd go there every year he's got all the variants and all the you know, 
but it's a good time. Like it's big, it's basically a heavy metal concert and a bottle share all wrapped into one. And so that's cool. I like three Floyds. It's funny. They, uh, they didn't distribute in, uh, they distributed in Virginia like 20 years ago or maybe 15 years ago. And then they pulled out because they were so popular and they just came back got six months ago maybe mm-hmm. and it's just so funny i was at like they just not a gourmet grocery store just like the regular everyday <laughs> grocery store and there was zombie dust they had like a in cap of it and i was like holy shit zombie dust sweet <laughs> there it is right there 6.99 sweet yeah so I'm, in, I'm in the far northwest corner of ohio so um so i know three flights just started distributing last fall to Michigan and people were just going crazy for it. My cousin was just like, oh yeah, they got zombie dust. They've got, you know, Robert the Bruce, they've got, you know, such and such on tap. And yeah, everybody goes crazy for that. So I remember my first time I ever went to Michigan, this is, I mean, 10 years ago. And this was probably at the height of like the hop slam craze. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened, I completely unrelated, happened to be there, you know, in, in February and I remember we stopped because we we're driving. We stopped to get gas and I went into the gas station to pay. And holy shit, there was like cases of hop slam, like stacked <laughs> in the ceiling with this gas station. I'm like, I was like what the? <laughs> I'm running out. I'm like, I'm like, honey, wreck the car up. Like, <laughs> like pop the trunk. <laughs> well, like six cases, you know, throw them in the car. So that was, very, that was a very exciting day uh, in the state of Michigan, you know, yeah. at a gas station. But I will tell you a uh, true story. I was at Costco over the weekend. And lo and behold, going down the aisle, holy crap, they had hop slam. I was like, get out of here. And so I bought a four pack for myself. It came nice. in a cardboard box, which I'd never seen, which I was very okay. excited about. And it was their branded cans, uh, wasn't the bottles. It was kind of, it was like 1099. I mean, it was like, I was like, what? Are yeah. You kidding? I was like, so I bought it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's good stuff. It's just funny how, uh, ubiquitous craft beer has become one other question for you if you were a beer what style would you be and why that's a very good question uh so yeah i would be a flanders red it's not even a style of beer that i particularly care for i will tell you uh surprisingly paired with fettuccine alfredo of all things mind-blowing anyway but i would do that because it's an obscure beer, particularly here in America, right? I mean, there's beer nerds that are into it, but like general public, not so much. So it's niche. It's awesome looking, but it's extremely odd. Like it's an odd beer to the average customer. It's not a flavor profile that most people would gravitate towards self-selecting the people that are going to like that. And people in Belgium, that's a different story, right? They love that shit. It, yeah. it, it, you know, a lot of people like it, very common. But here in America, like it would be off-putting, but they'd be curious because it looks awesome. It sounds exotic. It tastes exotic, but it's not for everybody. That's what I would be because that is what I tried to do with Adroit Theory. I tried to make something that it's not for everybody. And again, I make some beers that everybody will like, or at least everybody that drinks beer would like, but that's not who we are. What we do is very specific to a very specific customer who is into what we're doing as a whole. That's what I'd go with. I think that's definitely a good description of what, what you do there at Adroit. We try to make our beers so that when you're walking down the aisle of beer and there's hundreds, maybe even thousands of cans of beer where it just, it all looks the same until you get to the Adroit section. 
and you're like, what the, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this right here? Boom, this looks different because it is different because we conceptualized it to be different. You don't have to like it. Yeah. We hope you like it, but if you don't like it, that's fine too. We're perfectly content with that. Uh, consume life, drink art. I really appreciate you spending time, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Last call. It's nearly time to wrap things up, but first, one more for the road. This episode, I'm drinking Asuari from Adroit Theory Brewing in Purcellville, Virginia. This is a Russian Imperial Stout clocking in at 12% ABV. So the can on this is pretty sweet. Uh, this is a Ghost 1174. It's very cool. It's got a very death metal kind of vibe to it. The tasting notes say this. Asuari is a bold, roasty stout full of rich notes of toffee and freshly roasted coffee from start to finish. Full-bodied, jet black in color, with modest bitterness and alcoholic warmth on the finish. Without further delay... Well, for those that know me, I believe that uh, stouts are a year-long drinking beer. Uh, I know there are a lot of folks that think they're just a, a cold weather, but uh, I, I drink Russian Imperials and, and other stouts year-round. So upon pouring this one out, it's definitely jet black. There is no way whatsoever to see through this beer. It has a uh, just a real fine caramel-colored foam on the top. The tasting notes said that uh, it had notes of toffee and coffee. Definitely getting a little bit of that, that roastiness on the nose, which, uh, which I so love with the Russian Imperial Stout. First taste impression, definitely a solid Russian Imperial. Um, for all of the, the IPAs, the DIPAs, the TIPAs, the quads that Adroit puts out, I will say that the Russian Imperial Stouts are some of the best I've ever had. A great flavor, solid. Um, so they have several other ones that I'm a, a real big fan of. Uh, they've got one called 200. Coven, Cannibalism, Dia de las Muertas, probably my favorite, which is now one of their one of their core beers. Just amazing. Say this uh, again from the first taste impression. It's got a soft feel on the first part of the uh, the taste. It's definitely got a lot of uh, a lot of character. I definitely get some of the coffee. Not getting as much of the toffee yet, but but I'm sure that'll come later. And, and it's really smooth. Uh, it does have, uh, I will say, uh, a coffee-like bitterness to it. So I, I'm a big fan of, of dark-brewed coffee. And uh, so it definitely has that kind of a, uh, of a bitter finish on it. One of the things that I'll, I'll reiterate, um, the higher the ABV, the darker the beer. These beers need to set a little bit. They need to, uh, to warm up. So, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, to take a little break. And I'm going to come back in uh, 10 or 15 minutes and uh, just see what happens with this beer. So... Okay, so I'm returning to this after uh, about 15 minutes. The roasty coffee notes on the nose have now become a lot more pronounced. So what had been very subtle before now is, is very prominent. I'm going to go ahead and take another sip of this beer. Definitely getting some of that, that toffee, getting the dark roast coffee. And then at the end, now I'm getting that warming kind of booziness that just kind of travels slowly down your, down your throat and into your belly. Oh, that is so good. So smooth. So I'm not going to bore you by having you sit with me for the next hour uh, as I try to uh, enjoy this BFB. But uh, I just want to reiterate the fact that Droit makes some amazing Russian Imperial Stouts. So if you have a chance to ever try uh, any of them, I'd give them a shot because they are uh, pretty doggone amazing. And I would give this one a very strong Four tasters out of five on the flight board. This is a BFB, a big freaking beer. Cheers, Adroit. Rock on, man. Well, if you've got a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. 
If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. Well, that's all for this episode of the Five Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time when I talk about infusing beer at home, share another hot pack, and chat with Zach White from Chapman's Brewing. Remember to hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, 5beerplan2022, and leave a comment to let me know what your favorite beer fest is. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friends.